0: Good morning, Providence. My name is Hunter. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, if it's your first time or your 500th time with us this morning, we are so, so glad that you are here. Um, it is taking quite a bit of work to pull off a Sunday like this from the Christmas Cafe to the Kids Choir Discipleship presentation, so can we just put our hands together and thank all the volunteers who have served this morning? Thank you, thank you, thank you. We are grateful for you, and uh, we'll go ahead and dismiss Kid City to their classroom, so if you're in kindergarten through fifth grade, you can head out to the lobby, and your teachers will meet you there. And uh, Kid City is heading out for good reason this morning, too, because uh, today I want to talk to you about death. That's right. Merry freaking Christmas. Death, death, death. That's what we're talking about today. We just lit the third Advent candle, the candle of joy and hope and peace and joy and love are the four candles of Advent, which is a fancy word that we use in Christian circles to talk about this season of reflection and preparation for Christ's birth. But New Testament scholar and historical theologian Fleming Rutledge recounts in her wonderful work, Advent, the once and future coming of Jesus Christ, that this was not always the case. In fact, in the medieval church, the four Sundays of Advent were sequenced not around joy, hope, peace, and love, but rather the themes of the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Rutledge writes, in the medieval church, the subject of hell was preached on the Sunday just before Christmas Eve. That was no accident. The idea was and is to show how the light of the birth of Christ appeared against a backdrop of darkness, depravity, and despair. She goes on to say, in the church, the season of Advent is often superficially understood as a time to get ready for Christmas, but in truth, it's the season for contemplating the judgment of God. Advent is the season that, when properly understood, does not flinch from the darkness that stalks us in this world. Advent, Rutledge writes, begins in the dark and moves toward the light, but the season... Should not move too quickly or too glibly, lest we fail to acknowledge the depth of the darkness. Advent bids us to take a fearless inventory of the darkness, the darkness without and the darkness within. Now, this Sunday before Christmas Eve, I will not be preaching on hell. You are welcome for that. (laughs) But I do want to talk to you about death and its sting that we all feel. My hope this morning is to pierce through the tinsel, the toys, and the mistletoe and fix our focus on the Christmas story as it actually is and not as we presume it to be. Because the brutal reality of Christ's birth, not its sentimentality, offers us the sure-footed hope that we all need in a world racked by despair, pain, and death. Almost four years ago today, we buried my paternal grandmother. Meemaw was her name, and she was 85 years young. In fact, on her uh, 85th birthday, an ambulance arrived to her home and took her to a hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, where she would die 18 18 days later under hospice care had Memaw lived to see Christmas that year, her and my grandfather would have celebrated their 65th wedding anniversary. Uh, That's a photo of them at their 50th. Even though Memaw followed Jesus faithfully for decades, her passing from this life to the next Celebratory as it was, was extremely difficult extremely painful. After all, death is not easy, and dying is always hard. The family, the finances, the funerals, the deep grief of losing a loved one, it all proves too difficult, too trying sometimes, maybe especially during the Christmas season. Can you relate? (laughs) In fact, maybe you even want to take a minute to self-reflect and think about this question, how have you felt death sting this year? Not a fun question to think about, but one that we can all embrace. Maybe through the loss of a relationship, the failure of a business, financial hardship, the death of a friend or a family member, the diagnosis of a disease. How have you felt death sting? this year. My meemaw's death got me thinking about one amazingly obvious fact. Everyone dies. (laughs) I realize it's a bit of a basic statement. It's not really up for debate, but the surprising truth is that even though everyone dies, no one lives like it. And sadly, the Christmas season, maybe especially, serves as one of the greatest conspirators in getting our minds off of our own mortality. It's the season of eat, drink, and be merry, and yet in American culture, and maybe especially around Christmas time, we tend to forget the dismal refrain that follows, for tomorrow we surely die. In our society of distraction, noise, and accumulation, and in this exciting and great season of hectic schedules, overcrowded shopping markets, consumeristic greed, I'm afraid we may have been duped ever so slightly, even in the church, into avoiding the one thing that, besides taxes, is guaranteed most in this life, death. And I don't blame us because death is cruel and uncomfortable, something we all long to dismiss and ignore. But no matter how little we may like it, in the immortal words of Robert Bolt, death doth come for us all. But the good news for us this Christmas is that death is also why Christ came. The hymn writer tells us clearly enough. Hail, the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail, the Son of Righteousness. Lighten life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn King. Born that man no more may die patriarchal language notwithstanding, that is the true meaning of Christmas. Santa, toys, carols, presents, and Christmas trees, the hambricks will be enjoying, all of those things and more. But that's not what Christmas is about. The true meaning of Christmas is that Christ Jesus came into the world to die so that we might truly live. Christmas is not Easter Christmas is not Good Friday, but Christmas is a radical encounter with death and all of its consequences. And until with Christ we confront death, look it head on, squarely in its face, we will be utterly unable to fully enjoy the life that Christ's birth came to bring. And so today we are kicking off a mini-series this week and next called The Eternal King Arrives. There's a king who lives eternal. A king who once came and who comes once more to undo the curse of death and all of its consequences. If you have your Bibles, please grab them or scroll over with me to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is in the Old Testament, basically in the middle of your Bibles. We're going to be reading this morning three passages of Scripture. First in Jeremiah chapter 23 verses 5 through 6, then Luke chapter 1, and finally we'll land in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Jeremiah 23, Luke 1, and 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you're able, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 through 6, says this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David, everybody say David, David. a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Second reading this morning from Luke, the gospel of Luke chapter 1 right after Matthew, Mark, just before John, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 23. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Everybody say David. David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. We don't have time to jump into the story, but man, at that moment, she probably didn't feel like the favored one, Uh, but she was. Verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, that's a word for somebody this morning. You have found favor with God. and last but not least, for your hearing and benefit this morning, you don't have to turn there now, but 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you are taking notes this morning, and I hope that you are, I'd like to preach a message to you entitled, The Once and Future King. The Once and Future King. I want to show how because of this king who came once and is coming back again, there's something really, really beautiful that we can do in the confusing in between. Sound good? Oh, that was pretty weak. Sound good? Come on, I'm going to need you with me this morning. We're talking about death. All right, we need some, need some help. Let's start by looking at uh, the king who once came. We just read Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 through 6, and it's hard to understate uh, how profoundly important of a character King David was in the life and history of Israel. Uh, outside of Abraham and Moses, no other individual played such a shaping influence in Israel's religious history and self-understanding. Uh, In fact, at this point in Israel's story, David has been dead for nearly four centuries. Israel has been deported to exile. Judah has fallen, and yet prophecies are still being made about this man's lineage, a righteous branch, who would, number one, reign as king, number two, teach or act wisely, and number three, execute righteousness and justice in the land. Now, it's important to know that justice and righteousness are what you call a synonymous word pair in Hebrew. That's pretty cool, actually. They're different words. Uh, They're not the same word. Uh, But in the Old Testament, you'll hardly ever find one without the other. It's like peanut butter and jelly, salt and pepper, Mary and Joseph, eggnog and your drunk uncle. Uh, They just seem to go hand in hand. And that's because in the Hebrew imagination, love of God and love of neighbor was the same. The degree to which we love God was reflected in our capacity to love the people around us. This is the kind of king the Old Testament prophets eagerly anticipated, one who embodied righteousness and justice, individual holiness and social engagement, personal piety, and systemic reform. A ruler who would love God and neighbor in radical and sacrificial ways. And by God's grace, that is the church that we seek to be. These people were waiting. 400 years after David's death and 500 years before Christ's birth, the people of God are waiting on pins and needles, expectantly longing for a deliverer who would put right all that is wrong in their hearts and in the world. In the fullness of time, Galatians says, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. And the people of God move from waiting to welcoming. Luke chapter 1 verses 26 through 33 recounts the angel Gabriel visit to a virgin named Mary, the fiance of Joseph in a town called Nazareth in a region of Galilee. This beautiful scene depicts the faithful astonishment and holy longing that Mary, uh, the favored one of God, had for the birth of the coming king. Uh, One of the reasons I speak so candidly about death this morning is because the Christmas story speaks so candidly about it. Uh, Seriously, go back sometime this week and reread Matthew chapter 1 through 2 and Luke chapter 1 through 2. It is wild stuff, I mean, Jesus is born in the middle of an infanticide under the rule of a deranged king, Herod the so-called great. There are wise men, maybe some wise women in the mix. We don't know. Text doesn't say. Shepherds, the lowest, most despicable class of people in society at that time, weren't even welcomed into the temple, are the very first people group that God chooses to appear to. Joseph is having dreams left and right. John the Baptist is leaping for joy in Elizabeth's womb. Old people meet Jesus in the temple, and then a couple seconds later, they keel over. Uh, Zachariah is moot. Uh, Angels are everywhere. It's just, it is a frenetic activity of a scene. In the midst of all of your activity this Christmas, I implore you, as one of your pastors, please, 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 don't let the Christmas season pass without reading the Christmas passages. You think you know the story, but I promise you, you don't. (laughs) I was rereading it myself this week, and my mind was blown away. And when you do reread those passages of Scripture, uh, just notice how many times the word David is mentioned. Uh, You'll see his name mentioned everywhere. In Matthew's gospel, for example, the dude can hardly help himself. Uh, You open up your Bible, you flip to the New Testament, and the very first sentence in the very first chapter, the very first book of the New Testament, and he says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. And you have to be asking yourself, like, the son of David? David's been dead for like 900 years, bro. What are you talking about, the son of David? David. But because Jesus was born in the royal line of Judah and in the house of Bethlehem, in the lineage of David, a Messiah, a king had come, a ruler who not only was a son of David but was greater than David, greater than Herod and greater than any ruler that has come or will come. The beauty of Christmas is that a king greater than David has arrived on the scene and his name is Jesus. First Timothy chapter one, verse 17 has served as a home base for Emmanuel and I as we've been preparing for this series. And it says, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. Eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. These are not words that can describe King David. David was not eternal. He came into being and died within two generations' time. Yet Christ is the eternal, preexistent Son of God. There never was a time when the Son was not. David. Immortal? David died after living a rather crass and corrupt life but not King Jesus, begotten, not made. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary and is the only person in human history to live, die, and come back to life again. Invisible? David's life was clearly seen, recorded, and put on public display, uh, sometimes more publicly than he wanted. In fact, one of the most important pieces of archeolog- archaeological evidence that we have for David's life is this thing called the Tel Dan Steel. and it uh, dates back to the 9th century. This uh, Canaanite inscription refers to the house of David. Uh, outside of Scripture, this is perhaps the only visible testimony we have that a dude named David actually lived. You get that? One of the most important people in Israel's history, and this is what we got. But not so with King Jesus. No, King Jesus has so much more. Colossians chapter one, verses 15 through 16 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him And for him. I'm gonna need somebody more than just Sister Sherry clapping this morning. This is good news today because the works of Jesus are all around us in the world he's made, in his word, and in the witness of his church. In Jesus, the invisible God put on skin and bone and moved into the neighborhood. These attributes and more make King Jesus, the God King, not just greater than King David, but the only God worthy of eternal glory and honor and praise. Amen. This is what Christmas is all about. The eternal, the immortal, the invisible, the only God and King entered into time and space, subjected himself to death so that we, so that you could spend forever with him. My friend, the eternal king entered into time so that you could live eternally with him. The same king who once came is the same king who comes once more. So it's impossible to preach a message about the first advent without also referencing advent number two. Uh, The humble king who came born in a manger, a meek and mild, helpless babe in a podunk village in the outskirts of the empire. The humble lamb of God who is slain for the sins of the world is also the same king who will come back one day, rip open the heavens, reigning, ruling, and roaring as the lion of the tribe of Judah. In Revelation chapter 19, at the very end of your Bible, we hear the Apostle John say this. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges, sound familiar, and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thighs, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This too is the God that we serve. This too is the king for whom you and I are watching. I have been a Christian basically my entire life, and uh, I don't share that as a point of pride, just simply as a a point of privilege or pity, maybe. Consequently, there are very few spiritual or intellectual doubts that I have. Um, I'm good on the reliability of Scripture. Did the resurrection take place? Uh, Should we believe the incarnation or miracles possible? Check, check, check. I got that all day. But I do struggle with this idea of... Jesus's return, haunted as this earth is by death and dying, in a world so burdened by war and strife, violence and despair, poverty and sickness. I find myself often wondering, why has this eternal king not arrived? After 2,000 years of heartache and bloodshed, hasn't it been enough? Why hasn't he shown back up? And if I'm not careful, my watching can begin to turn to wondering, doubting the promises of God and wondering if he'll actually make good on his promise. Maranatha, return, Lord Jesus. But maybe unlike me, that's not really your problem. Uh, Maybe like a friend of mine who I spoke to recently, you're actually doing pretty good in life. And you're not wondering about Christ's return. You're worrying that it will actually take place. Because let's face it, you got it pretty good down here. <laughs> you're like, um, hey, God, take your time up there. I'm actually kind of crushing it here. And uh, life's pretty good. I've got a few plans I want to see happen. And uh, don't move too quickly now, okay? Because things are going good. i got a five-year endeavor. And if you come back, that's really going to mess everything up. Anybody relate? Um, I love, love, love his honesty. Because I think that's how most of us healthy, educated, generally affluent Americans feel. But God doesn't want us wondering if his return will happen. He certainly doesn't want us worrying that his rearrival arrival somehow spoil our plans for happiness, well-being, and success. No, our God wants us worshiping. And I am, this may seem disconnected, but I am fully convinced this Christmas, maybe more than ever, that the way we get to a posture of worship, where like Paul, we say, look, Jesus, you are the only king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, worthy of all honor and glory and praise forever and ever, is by getting a revelation deep down into our spirits that we are mortal beings, that we are not going to live forever. That instead of avoiding the fear of death with the tinsel and the gleam, instead of being paralyzed by the fear of death, we actually embrace the life-giving reality that we too one day will die. Because the only way we can truly live, like really live, this side of heaven, is by accepting the fact that we will not live forever. The only way that we will ever live is by taking up a cross and following after the one who died in our place. The good news this Christmas is that with Christ, we can live forever. But right now, Jeff Bezos is investing millions of dollars into Alto Labs with the goal of cracking the genetic code. The idea is that if genes could be taught to reproduce themselves, then we can dramatically slow aging or maybe even stop the process of dying altogether. That's right. One of the wealthiest men on the planet is trying to live forever by conquering death himself. But I hate to tell you, Jeff, uh, Jesus beat you to it. Uh, Eugene Peterson summarizes Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 through 15 beautifully when he says, "Uh, since the children are made of flesh and blood, it's logical that the Savior took on flesh and blood in order to rescue them by his death. By embracing death, taking it into himself, he destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life, scared to death of death. How beautiful is that? Why did Jesus come, you ask? Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. This is why our king came. The eternal king entered into time so that we could have life eternal with him. And guess what? Eternity starts now. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of new life. Today is the day of resurrection that is available to you because a king once came. He died. He was buried. He rose again. And the best news of all is he's coming back for you and me. I'll invite the music team to the stage as we respond and worship this morning. The prayer team can make their way down front as well. And I don't know how to tell you this, but Tomorrow's not promise. things will fall apart. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Um, I've joked before about the fact that uh, I'm losing my hair so your boy's on Rogaine. Um, You know, I had a a health scare this year that led me to like level 10 anxiety and fear. Uh, I started losing some hearing in my right ear. My parents and my beautiful wife and I were in a car wreck uh, just two months ago Uh, that could have been a lot worse. And uh, it's those events in life that remind us that our days here are numbered. And the promise of scripture is that we will number our days. God will give us a heart of wisdom. And so the wisest thing you can do this morning, if you have not yet, is to put your faith and your hope and your trust in the only King who lasts, King Jesus. If you'd like to begin a relationship with Jesus today, myself or any one of the prayer team members, we would be honored to pray with you. Uh, And maybe that's not where you are. Maybe you're just, (laughs) you're weary. You're tired. And you're wondering, will this whole Jesus thing actually work out? I'd be honored to pray with you as well, to join my faith with yours and intercede on your behalf. But whatever you're doing, whether you're sitting, whether you're standing, whether you're coming down front, let's give God the worship that our eternal King deserves.